Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Season 2, episode number 14 of Keeping Up With The Krakens, brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. This is your co-host of the pod, Tyler Bell, coming from the beautiful Banff, Alberta. And just like always, joined by fellow co-host of the podcast, Alec Durham, a.k.a. The Derminator. How's it going today, buddy? Oh, not too bad, dog. How are you doing? Oh, not too, too shabby. Just chilling, recovering, uh, trying to get back to 100% healthy here. Should be pretty close. Give it another week or so, and the old knee might be uh, just ready to get back at her. The old knee, eh? How old are you? Way, I, I feel way older than I actually am, I'll tell you that. It hits quick. It does, it does. I've, uh, you know, abused this body a little too much at a younger age, and I am already regretting it and I'm not even in my thirties. So, uh, kind of scary when you think about it that way. Welcome to the rest of your life, pal. Yeah, no kidding. What's up with you? Anything new going on? Oh, nothing. Just lounging around, just waiting for shit to get going, I guess. Okay. A little, uh, not exactly sure what you mean by that, but that's okay. Hey Durham, you know, what's exciting. What's that? I watched episode number one of The Last of Us last night. No shit, eh? Yeah. Uh, gotta say, gotta say, it's looking pretty fantastic already. I mean, I don't want to get into it too much because you are uh, one episode ahead of me right now. So I'm going to get caught up either tonight, maybe tomorrow night, and then uh, we'll be able to maybe talk about it a little bit more next time. And uh, I'll make sure I'm, I'm caught up for... Uh, what would it be the third episode already by the time we do the next pod? Yeah. Yeah. It'd be number three coming out on Sunday. Yeah. Not going to lie though. Pretty good so far. I mean, it's been, that was a solid first episode. Oh man. Just you wait. That's nothing. That's just mm-hmm. dipping your toe in. Yeah. And I have a feeling it's going to get uh, pretty exciting going forward, but let's jump into some crack and talk right now. 
uh, you know, coming off a not too bad week. I mean, a little one, one and one record to show of it, which isn't too bad. You're picking up three out of six points. Started things off a week ago against the Edmonton Oilers in Edmonton and Durham. This is the game we said, which was going to be really tough coming on the second half of a back to back. And it showed pretty much just what you thought it would be. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, we said, you know, the game plan here is if you can get a power play goal and don't allow their power play to goal, you give yourselves a fighting chance. And the Kraken did just that. And unfortunately, it still wasn't enough to keep the Oilers at bay. Yeah, they get handed a big 5-2 loss, which on the scoreboard looks pretty bad, but it was a pretty close game for the most part in this one. It wasn't too bad and it got off with a great start. Yeah, you're going to get Spronger getting his 15th of the year on the power play just three minutes into the game. Yeah, and a nice little maybe lucky deflection too off of uh, you know an Oilers D stick out front give, makes it find the back of the net there. And, and Spronger with his 15th of the year gets things going. But once again, it was McDavid just making things happen on the ice. Yeah, he's going to kind of scare Schultz into blowing a tire there, and then he's going to blow the puck past Jonesy when he blows into the zone. McDavid, that's right, just blowing up the Kraken. Yeah, uh, he's been doing that a lot this year. 38th on the year for him, and just don't blink when this guy's on the ice because next thing you know, uh, it's in the back of your net, and, and he's 30 feet in front of where he was one second earlier. So uh, just McDavid doing McDavid things. And then in that second period there, the Oilers just kind of took took things into their control for the most part. Yeah, unfortunately, Derek Ryan's going to tap home a squeaker through Jonesy there once it's just sitting in the crease. And then after that, Warren Fogle's going to score his fifth of the year sitting on his ass after a scramble in the crease. Yeah, kind of unlucky play there on the Derek Ryan goal where it just just squeaks out enough to expose the puck. And uh, obviously Jones thought he had it covered, so did everyone else. But uh, Ryan was the only one to to see that it wasn't, and he snuck back there, popped it in. And then that Warren Fogle one, that's a scrambly play out front where kind of done, you know, falls over over top of a guy, and it leaves Warren Fogle just laying on the ground, able to just kind of scoop it up over Jonesy and, and put the Oilers up by two. Yeah, that's kind of just an unfortunate situation there because I think Dunner got hit blocking the shot right before that. And then the shot, the rebound that hit Dunn came in and then it was the scramble. So I'm sure he kind of got a little, you know, when you get hit and it kind of breaks your focus for just a second and that's enough. I'm pretty sure that'd be what happened to him there. Unfortunately, it was enough. Yeah, that's exactly what it looks like. Looked like that was a stinger, too, that he blocked. So uh, those never feel too good. But Vince Dunn, though, uh, you know what? He he may not have had the defensive play, but to start the third period, he gets his team going just two, 22 seconds into the period. Yeah, Wenberg with some nice handles and patience there to find space and find, like we said, who else but Vince Dunn. He's going to come in and keep that point streak alive, getting his ninth of the year. Yeah, and a bit of a soft one, I'd say, on Campbell's glove, but uh, Dunn's able to find a way through it and keeping that point streak alive, Durham. He's got that huge point streak going. Yeah, I think this the Oilers game put him at eight. Yeah, eight games and little fun fact there. No other Seattle Kraken player has hit an eight-game point streak yet for this franchise. So just like that, Vince Dunn now holding that record. That's good, right? I think that's pretty good. Um, just wasn't good enough to fully fight back because right after Zach Hyman would would bury one just a minute later and putting the Oilers up 4-2. Yeah, that was, that was fucking unfortunate. I mean, just a tough break on the Bjorkstrand pass up the middle there. And then, of course, it comes right back. And good old new boy Tolvin in tries to make a strong D play with the poke check there and pokes it right into his own fucking net. Yeah, pretty unfortunate, especially after scoring that goal just uh, a minute earlier. And yeah, just an unfortunate play. You don't see something like that happen too often. Tolvanen's trying to make a defensive play, but as he's poking it away, he pokes it straight into his own net with some heat on it too. So uh, not exactly the easiest thing for Jones to stop there. But, you know, unfortunately, I think that took the wind out of the sails for the rest of the game for this Kraken team, and uh, they just weren't able to recover from that one. 
Yeah, and then unfortunately halfway left in third period here, McLeod's going to get a little tap home here. Hyman's going to have that centering pass, goes off a skate, off a post, and then, like we said, McLeod's going to finish it up. But what kind of bugged me about this play here is, like you said, everyone kind of finished it in. It was mailed in. You see from the one angle, Donato is like four feet away from McLeod the whole time and then peels off right as the puck bounces to him. It's like, dude, just stick with your guy. Yeah, that's a play that you'd want to have back if you're Donato or you, you got to stay on that forecheck and stay on your guy. You can't let him get away loose like that. And um, after that goal, obviously, there was just no chance of getting back into the game. And unfortunate because it's a game where maybe they just didn't have the right bounces. They didn't play an awful game. They won the, the special teams, but just didn't have enough to take home the victory against Edmonton. And like we said, for being a back-to-back with a little bit of travel involved too, like you're just sometimes you're not going to have the perfect game the next night. Sometimes exactly. you do have a damn good game, and it's still not enough. And that's just unfortunately what happened. It's that tough one too, coming off the obviously the huge road trip that they swept, and then you come back home, you you almost kind of like want to relax but then you're you're right back to playing and then they're back on the road the very next day in Edmonton so that's a that's a tough game to you know have all the energy for but that's okay they'd have a big bounce back game against the New Jersey Devils back at home getting back in the winning streak yeah and they'd get started I mean not too quick but quick enough it's in the first period here gonna have great rush defense by Will Borgen he's gonna break up the play there and then he's gonna fire a sexy stretch pass up to Donato and he's gonna just wire home his ninth of the year yeah that was a gorgeous goal I mean a perfect shot executed like a true sniper and I like the way he just kind of pivots just to kind of give that option of of if he's going to pass or see what his other visions are you know he pivots on that play and then he just knows right away he's going to let that go and just roofs it over Blackwood's glove yeah he might have been foreshadowing the uh Kraken's game plan there a little bit tonight yeah no kidding and he wasn't done there Durham because fast forward to the second period just about five minutes in and Donato once again on a very similar looking play and shot absolutely roofs one over Mackenzie Blackwood and just like that Donato's at double digits on the year with his 10th yeah it was perfect D zone execution there off the face off to get this whole play started McCann and Donato jump through McCann rushes the D steals the puck just immediately crosses it over and gives it to Donato let the hot stick have the puck right and that was obviously the right decision because like you said Donato's up to double digits now Yeah, and he has been on a heater as of late, but uh, it wasn't fully enough to keep the New Jersey Devils off the board because they would come back with a couple goals on their own. Yeah, tough turnover at the end of a long shift here, and then the Devils are going to come back, pick up the drop pass there, and Severson's going to have his fourth of the year. Yeah, it was a little easy one. You see three Kraken players get caught into the own zone. They're super tired, and and that allows Severson to just take that extra step into the slot there and rip one home. And if you thought that was a tough shift to look at, the power play to start the third period isn't really going to get you going either because you're going to have a tough breakdown here, leaving Halla unchecked, and he's going to get a shorthanded breakaway, and he's going to bury that shorthanded breakaway. Now we're tied at two. Yeah, tied at two in the third period, and these are the moments you got to step up that are so different from last year where the Kraken would fall apart. But, you know, credit to Hall. It's a nice backhander goal, but the Kraken weren't done there because, once again, that Yanni Gord, you know, the hardest worker on this team, going into the corner, taking a hit to make a play, passes it out, passes it out front there to Ryan Donato, and what a silky little feed to Brandon Tanev to find a wide-open net and pop home his ninth of the season. Oh, wasn't that just soft hands and a little beautiful backhand sauce there? Just made it look so undetected. Like he, No one knew that pass was coming, and uh, Donato, once again, just at the forefront of making plays in this hockey game. Yeah, getting a point on every cracking goal in regulation. Spoiler alert, that's all they're going to score for these three periods. But still, like you said, just a dominant effort from Donato in this game. 
Yeah, just dominant. And unfortunately, the Kraken wouldn't close it out in regulation. Hint, hint. Um, you know, you got Jack Hughes playing that sidewall, the half boards there. Just rips a shot on net. And Nico Heischer is just the first one to find that rebounder. A tough one for Jonesy there. And uh, the, yeah, just those pesky New Jersey Devils just kept coming and sending the game to OT. Yeah, they just kept bringing it and bringing it and bringing it, but they couldn't bring it to overtime because, oh, let's talk about Vince Dunn here. That quick, like, the hard extra effort to retrieve that lost puck in overtime and then get it to Burakovsky, who's going to, you know, hold on to it a little bit for about five or six seconds before firing at five hole for the winner here. But, man, that extra effort down low from Dunn, those first three steps were I'm pretty sure he beat Jack Hughes to the puck. That was something we haven't seen from him. Yeah, to see just that extra speed and extra effort to make that play, and it all, all you know, pays out too. And what a beautiful little skate that Burakovsky went on in overtime there to to create that opening and and snipe a goal in. So overall, what a fantastic end to a fantastic hockey game where the crack and come back at home after a you know maybe not the best full 60 minute performance against the Tampa Bay lightning. They certainly put a 60 minute performance in this game, putting 40 shots on net and scoring in every period of the game. So that was a great comeback. Okay. So going for the New Jersey thing here with Dunner, like you said, beautiful skate from Burakovsky there to hold on to it and get it. And Dunn's assist there in overtime. That's going to bump his point streak to nine games. That's going to make it, like you said, a new franchise record of eight was the, New top in the last game. Nine's the new placeholder now. And another record for the boys. Jonesy's win against the Devils is going to tie him with Grubauer for the most in team history with 22. Yeah, just unbelievable when you think about it that he's already tied Grubauer for the most. And that includes Grubauer's wins that he's put up this season as well. So just shows how dominant Jones has been in that crease and how often he puts up wins when he's in there. Yeah, I can't believe we missed it last week when he became the first goalie in Kraken history to have 20 wins in one season. Yeah, that's a big moment. I mean, 20 wins, that's, that's, <laughs> that's you know, <laughs> it's funny to think about that as the, the franchise record right now. But when you're right. a year and a half in, that's just what you have to deal with, right? I know everyone, we were all hoping coming in, like, yeah, maybe a year and a half in, it's going to be Grubauer with, like, 55, maybe 60 wins if they have a good year. Holy shit, did that not age well? No, that definitely did not. But Grubauer would find himself back in the crease against the Colorado Avalanche, who are no joke of an opponent. And this battle was a real physical, real defensive game, wasn't it? Yeah, it was real strong board work, I thought, from both teams here. Like Every time you looked at the TV, there was a good battle going on between at least one guy from each team. Sometimes you'd see two or three or four bodies in there all trying to fight for position and possession. Just a real Warriors game, I guess some people would call it. Yeah, very tenacious and just a hard-nosed, hard-working game where you, you have to battle for you know all puck possessions and you're not really finding any open ice out there. And that's kind of what it felt like in this one. Yeah, and it would actually take a while for either team to really find some good offensive chances and you know even longer for Newhook to finally bury the first one of the game for either team. And eight minutes into the second period, he's going to get his 10th of the year. Yeah, Newhook's just able to kind of get that loose puck there in front and take that extra second to just put a lot of heat on it and make sure it goes top shelf on Grubauer. And uh, to think that was the only goal that Grubauer gave up during regulation and overtime just speaks to the volumes of how good he played against his former team. Yeah, I mean, like you said, for it to be a rebounder goal far side where it if it had been a second shot, or shot a second earlier, you could be arguing goalie interference. Like, that's a hell of a game against Colorado. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, once again, just Grubauer just not being able to get the wins recently, even though he's putting up some fantastic numbers. So you definitely got a feel for the guy. But uh, you know who was back on the board? Once again, Ryan Donato, baby, with another goal, bringing him to goal number 11. 
Yeah, he's going to pick off a kind of a weak rim clearing attempt there from Sam Girard and the Colorado D down low, and he's going to just rip it past Francis, I believe, was in that. Coming right off the bench, too. Yeah, those wrists are on fire this past week. Ryan Donato has found another gear in his hockey game. Yeah, he well, like like we've talked about in his whole Seattle career, right? Very streaky scorer. He might have games where he goes without a point or really doing anything, and you might not notice him except for the odd minus, but then he's going to have four, five games where the only thing you notice is Ryan Donato helping out on offense. Yeah, all the time. Super streaky. That's just been Ryan Donato since he's been in a crack in Jersey. It was just the same thing all of last year. And, you know, I'm so glad he was back on the team again this year. He finds a deal pretty late. And same thing that we've seen, right? He went on the big goal scoring streak earlier in the year. And then once again, he's kind of on another one here. So let's con- hope that he continues to stay hot. But back into this game, Durham, those would be the only two goals throughout we've seen. You know, some close chances in third period. Jamie Alexiak, the big rig, stepping into a big shot, ringing it off the post, and that was really the closest we've seen to coming to another goal in this hockey game. Yeah, you had that unfortunate chance in overtime where Dunn and Beneers kind of worked that give and go, and Dunn just completely fanned on the puck, getting the pass back. But like you said, those were probably the best chances after the Donato goal. Yeah, and then this game, not like many we've seen from the Kraken, would head into the shootout. And unfortunately, I don't think any of the three Kraken skaters scored, whereas Nathan McKinnon kind of danced at five hole nicely on Grubauer. Yeah, exactly. We didn't see a single goal in the shootout from the Kraken. And then once again, Nathan McKinnon, who's just got some of the silkiest, fastest hands in the world, is just going to do his thing and and sneak one. And that just finds itself five hole in Grubauer. And that would be the winner in the hockey game. He's such a cheater because like he, when he comes in, he spent the first couple of years in the league kind of getting that where he comes in being a right handed shooter. He's kind of leaning a little bit to his backhand and then a bunch of quick handles. And as he pulls it to his forehand and leans in, he chips it back to the high blocker side. Oh, so yeah. I, that's I, a, he had that move down, move. and I thought that's what he was going to do. It's what he looked like he was kind of selling with his body coming in on Grubauer. And then when he dropped mm-hmm. his shoulder and pulled it, he just tucked it five hole. I was like, ah, you cheeky bastard. Keeping him guessing, right? And against a guy that was on his team, too, he probably had to pull out a new trick. I have touche, dude. Uh, yeah, I didn't think of that as well. Just obviously Grubauer would know the book on on McKinnon. He's seen it so much from him. Um, but yeah, overall, a pretty solid week of hockey from the crack. And I mean, that's a hard-fought game against Colorado, who is obviously starting to turn things around now that they're They've been more healthy and they, they seem to be putting it together. So, and again, with Edmonton, that's a team that's starting to put some strings, some wins together. So uh, other than that, they had a great win against New Jersey. And I thought as a, uh, you know, fairly good, fairly good week for the Kraken. I mean, you're picking up three out of six points. You can't be disappointed by what you've seen. Yeah. I mean, you're a shot away from taking two wins out of three games in the week. Anyone's happy mm-hmm. with that. Yeah, big time. And, uh, you know, their little uh, streak, their little um, home trip here is going to continue tomorrow night against the Vancouver Canucks. And this one's going to be an exciting one again, Durham. Yeah, I mean, they just did a coaching change in Vancouver, so I'm I'm not entirely sure what kind of team to expect here, whether they're going to have systems down or the team's just going to be down and be bummed out because of poor Brucey. But, you know, Tockett's teams have historically, and by teams I mean Anaheim, liked a defensive style first. But if he steals from when he was in Pittsburgh, they'll probably try and play it where the D just get the puck to the forwards as quick as possible and let their skilled forwards do the work. Yeah, great point. Just going back on, uh, you know, some of Tockett's old um, teams that he coached for and, and you know, the styles they would play, the systems they would play. The big thing I'm expecting out of Vancouver is just a team that uh, maybe not just re-energize, but every time you kind of have that first game under a new coach, 
the the team is usually buzzing and they're skating hard and they're flying out there. So I can only imagine uh, to run into a Vancouver team who's obviously looking to you know turn turn a new page whether they like it or not i mean just sucks with with everything that went down with old brucey there but um i'm expected to see a very motivated vancouver canucks team and once again we got to bring up the point that this is still a team the kraken have not beat in the nhl yet yeah and this would be the perfect opportunity to get that first win you know kick them while they're down exactly a team that's two and eight in their last 10 uh this is a perfect opportunity to do that but it's going to be a hard fought game with the new coaching staff coming in and let's just take a second to discuss about how shitty the vancouver canucks are right now especially their ownership oh man i can't believe all this shit like especially when you read the quotes coming out from boudreaux where the one that killed me when he's like, yeah, I basically knew this was happening from October 8th. I just didn't know when. It's like, bro, the season started October 12th. Yeah, that's horrible that they would even have that type of situation going into the season. Like, what a mess. And it's just been nothing but bad looks for Vancouver all year round. And, you know, I read something on Instagram earlier today that, the Canucks reached out to Elliot Friedman to tell him that it was his fault about the coaching leak and that the way Bruce was treated through the media and that they put a much, pretty much put all the blame on, uh, on Elliot Friedman. And I thought that was another just terrible shot at, you know, one of the game's most uh, looked at reporters and top of the line reporters and respected guys around the league. So uh, to be taking a shot at the Freeds like that is just another terrible look. Plus just what like horse shit attitude to have. Like you're the leadership group for the organization. And the first thing that happens when someone says, Hey, I think you guys fucked up. You go, well, it wasn't us. It's this guy's fault. Yeah, exactly. It's just becoming such a shit show there. It's embarrassing for the whole league. I mean, uh, it's just not, you know, it's not right at all. And, you know, as much as I'd love to see Bedard get drafted by this team, I do not want that owner to, that ownership to to receive Bedard. I don't want them to be gifted with a player like that to help them turn their franchise around because it's just been a shit show. I totally agree with you even though in my heart of hearts i want bedard in vancouver just because of the whole homegrown kid thing but oh this would poison it so much if aquilini still owned the team the one thing i've seen going around that i got a good chuckle out of was the only way for the karmic gods to make this okay is for anaheim to win the lottery and brucey to return home and coach there (laughs) that would be uh a hell of a circle of life right there. Uh, he had such a good record with that team. And um, I wonder, that would be interesting if they ever were to to look at that again. Well, I mean, they're no stranger to hiring back coaches they've already had, right? Like they brought Carlisle back, I'm pretty sure. Yep, 100% after he played with, uh, sorry, played with Coach the Leafs. Yeah, and then... Yep. Uh, I don't know, just my gut thinks they're going to make a coaching change soon. So I think that'd be fucking hilarious. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Imagine no, he just basically gets the be. next Ovechkin, but he's a centerman too. Yeah, that that would be pretty deadly, actually. And then They have so many good prospects to, to work around too with that team, that adding a guy like Bedard down the middle when you already have McTavish and Zegris and some of these other studs coming up and Drysdale on the back end and uh, Pavel Mintikayoff, if I'm saying that oh, right. Oh, right. What a pick I mean, that is. That, what a pick, dude. So Anaheim is fully loaded with prospects already. So that'd be a really fun place for Bedard to go and grow with, uh, grow with all those young guys. If that happens, I might move out west just to watch Anaheim all the time. Hey, you're always welcome out here, pal, if you want to make a change. <laughs> hey, just keep that in the back of the mind, all right? All right. And speaking of out west teams, uh, Friday, January 27th, the Kraken, after playing the Vancouver Canucks, will continue against the Canadian squads, taking on the Calgary Flames. And this is a team that's def- desperately in need of turning things around with some of their star players, whether it's, you know, Markstrom and Ned or Jonathan Huberdeau, who 
who absolutely banked in with the Calgary Flames this offseason. They need some of these guys to step up if they're to make a serious push in the playoffs. Like, no offense to Huberto. Like, I'm sure this is a big culture shock change to him and played like the last 10 years or whatever in Florida. And they do say in your first year after getting traded, a lot of players suck getting adjusted to things and the psychological effect and how, whatever. How can you be making $10.5 million and not be in the top three scorers? Not top three scoring forwards on your team. Yeah, that's terrible. And you're getting paid the most out of anybody on that team by a good little margin too. So um, terrible. And I feel, I don't even feel bad, but anybody who picked him in fantasy hockey, ouch. Yeah, didn't someone pick him right at the end of the first round in our league? I guarantee that's what happened. I'm pretty sure somebody took Huberdo. 11th and Ovechkin 14th well that Ovi pick's not too bad anymore I'll tell you that holy like a slow start for him but wow he really turned on the Jets oh yeah that fucking balanced out for sure I think what is he 52 points in 48 games right now that's not too bad 30 Genos tucked in there too whoa as Ovi a 78 year old Eight years old. Holy, did you see his uh his hairdo from the picture like a couple days ago? He's got like this this white and mostly white, white gray mullet going on. It just it's I've never seen it. Obi's always had crazy hair, but this is this is all time for Obi. He's just like, uh, I'm Russian. I can do whatever I want now, basically. Basically can. Um, except for you know. <laughs> Whatever, I well, don't even want to get yeah. into it, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's keep politics out of this fucking podcast. But uh, this is a big matchup. I mean, you're looking at the Calgary Flames, a team who's obviously chasing you for one of those playoff spots. So uh, this just ramps up just how important this game is, especially after dropping the last one there to Edmonton. You really want to come out and find a way to get a win against the Calgary Flames in this one. You got to beat two of the three Western Canadian teams here, Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. And if they lost to Edmonton, that means they got to win these two. So there's yeah, four points. It's, it's not like they're they're super hot right now, the Calgary Flames. I mean, they just squeezed by the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, last night. And in their last five games, their hottest player point-wise is Rasmus Anderson with six points. So you're not really running into a whole lot of hot players right now. And it almost seems like there's a bit of frustration going on between the team and the coach right now. So um, I don't know if you've heard some of Daryl Sutter so far, like recently in uh, some of these interviews and whatnot, but uh, did you get that little tidbit on the rookie who got called up? Um, God, I'm blanking on his name. Yeah. Did you hear about Pelletier? I thought that was funny as fuck. Like, when I watched the video, I was it was obvious to me that Sutter was screwing with the reporters. Yeah, it was, but like it almost felt personal there against Peltier, but I I guarantee that's not how it is. That's just how he's playing with the reporters and the media. Plus like anyone who's you think anyone who's covered Daryl Sutter for more than four and a half minutes would be like, Okay, this is where he's fucking with me. Like when he said yeah. Huberto had to go take a shit earlier. Like, how after that can you not read the Pelletier comments? Oh, what number yeah. is he? And not be yeah, like, what, ah, come on, Daryl. What number is he? Grabs the sheet, reads up all of his stats. Oh, this ice time. Oh, the 33 seconds on the power play. Yeah, the kid's 21. He's got a long way to go. Fair enough. I mean, that's, that's fair. But so, sometimes, you know, you expect the coaches to maybe – not be so criticizing of of you know a rookie playing in maybe game number one where uh, he's not out there making the terrible mistakes but um at the same time that's just how it goes with daryl sutter yeah sutter's never gonna be the guy when you ask how'd this rookie do he's not gonna be like oh he was fantastic i don't think he's got shit to work on like he's very blunt and direct with what his thoughts are but he's not yeah. gonna be a prick about them but he's gonna tell you what he thinks and like, let's be honest, he's not wrong. Pelletier does have a long way to go to be a top six forward in the NHL. 
Oh, yeah, big time. He has a long way to go. He brings a lot of the offense, but if he's going to find a way into that Calgary lineup, he's got to be defensively responsible. And you could say that about most lineups around the league, but especially if Daryl Sutter's your coach, he's not afraid to, you know, just make sure, you know, those players are ready to play a pro game. They're not just getting called up because of what they're doing offensively in the AHL. Exactly. And like, if you look at Calgary's roster, Pelletier is fighting for a spot on the wing. He's not going to be a top nine centerman for Daryl Sutter as a rookie. It's just not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. No. So if you look at their wings, you look at, okay, Pelletier's an undersized offensive forward. He's got to beat out Mangiapane, Dubé. I'm totally blanking, but there was another one in there top nine there that's a little smaller Toffoli's like six one i think isn't he i wanted to say Toffoli, but i think he's bigger yeah yeah i don't think he's too undersized to he's i'd say yeah around that six foot range six foot 203 so yeah you got to beat out at least dubay and mangiapani as your undersized skill players and they're both established players in the league so what are you going to do that they don't Exactly. Yeah. No, you bring up a really great point there. Um, but yeah, back to our original point. This is a very, very important game for the Kraken. I mean, you, you look at the standings, it's only four points that separate this team right now. You know, the Kraken do have two games in hand on the Flames, but uh, you have to create more of that separation when you get the opportunity to and and make sure this game doesn't turn into a three-point game. Yeah, and I think once you get to the games played mark of about 50 your games in hand kind of start mattering less and less and less and it's okay we have four points ahead we have two points ahead we're three points behind yeah exactly because you're gonna have these matchups of teams facing their own division so um when that comes down to the wire that's automatically two points even if uh you know, it's not going to one of those teams. It's maybe it's going to the LA Kings or the Edmonton Oilers or another team that's right there that uh, is creeping up on on the standings for Seattle or or on Seattle. My bad. So it's one of those things where you have to take the points when you when you get the opportunity to. Exactly. Plus, being right behind Vegas, you got a shot to have home ice in your division. Yeah, and then they're going to get another opportunity to snag two more points off the board off uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets, who, uh, just like a couple other teams in this league, really haven't ha- been having a good season. Holy fuck, they're tough this year, eh? And I don't mean, like, physically tough and intimidating. They're just tough to watch. Yeah, and that kind of throws back to the old-school Columbus days where uh, they were pretty tough to watch back then. They do have some exciting prospects and young people coming up, but they're just not at that level where you want to be watching a team like that. I mean, take a look at their defense right now. There's not a whole lot of guys who probably should be on an NHL decor when you're looking at that team's deep. Yeah, and unfortunately, having lost Wierenski early for the entire year really just sewered them because he's their only, like, let's be honest, he's their only legit NHL puck mover and puck handler or anything on the back end there, really. And to lose him for the whole year just screwed everything they had planned. That that sealed it for them. When they lost Wierenski, that's done, right? Like, there's no way you're having these other guys step up because – that decor was already super thin heading into the season, and you lot just lost your stud defenseman, maybe your best player, probably best player on the team as well. That sealed the bag for this team. And uh, I know they have got you know a big pickup like Johnny Gaudreau, but you know he brings the offensive skill, and he's had no problem doing that. But other than that, what has Johnny Hockey really brought? Booze. He's and I don't mean the drinking kind. Did you see that clip of him at practice in Calgary yesterday for his return to Calgary? I did. His team, as soon as he touched the puck, his whole team booed him. <laughs> that was fucking hilarious. That was really good. He missed a penalty shot too that game. So that could have been a great way to stick it into the Calgary fans. But just under pressure, once again, he couldn't get the job done. Yeah, just, you know. Tough hockey doesn't like Johnny hockey, I guess. He's more of a regular season guy. 
Yeah, he's uh hasn't really performed in those postseason games too much. But I think when the day comes when Kent Johnson is a comfortable top line centerman and he's playing with Goudreau on his wing, there's gonna be some dynamic hockey between the two that are just putting up points, and that's gonna be really fun to watch one day. But unfortunately, we're just not there yet. If Columbus drafts Bedard, does he lead their team in goals next year? Yes, he does, even ahead of line A. I just I just think the kid's just too electric and he shoots so goddamn much. I mean, not only like he will lead that team in goals and shots, that would that would be a bet I'm willing to put down. Interesting. Fucking shots. I didn't even think of that. He's probably I think he'd probably be up there for shots right away. He averages like 10, maybe more than 10 shots per game in the WHL. He's he's always shooting, man. He is he's such a shooter. And that's why maybe uh he, he scores as much as he does, because it's not like his shooting percentage is jumping off the pages, but he just finds ways to always get shots on the net. And then of course he's got that dynamic release that's like Matthews like. So you add those things together and just how much he plays to out there, it's it's no wonder why he's just popping them in. Yeah, he's not too bad. That'd be nice. Mm-hmm. That's a shiny new toy syndrome I'm getting here. I just want to. I just want to watch Bedard all year next year. I don't fucking care where. Yeah, exactly. It's all good. It's all good. But the three and seven uh, Columbus Jack- Blue Jackets in their last ten games, they're gonna have a their hands full when the Kraken are gonna be playing them Saturday, January twenty eighth. So. That should be a win in my books, of course. What do you think is going to happen throughout these three games here, Durham? Fuck it, three wins. Three wins. I'm with you there. I think that's what's going to happen too, baby. So let's get it. Four NFL teams, two conference championship games, and only a few more shots to win big on the playoffs with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Counting down to Super Bowl 57, new customers can bet just $5 and get 200 in free bets instantly. Not a new customer? Don't you worry. You can feel the conference championship thrills with stepped-up same-game parlays. Take your shot at an even bigger NFL payout and boost your winnings with each leg you add up to 100%. And if you're looking on who to bet, oh boy, there's some awesome matchups that you will be able to watch this Sunday when the NFL gets going because the Bengals are facing off against the Chiefs and that's two very, very highly skilled franchise quarterbacks going head to head. And if I had to put my money on it, I think I'm going with Joe Burrow, baby, of the Cincinnati Bengals. That would be on my bet to watch. And if you like that too, download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. New customers can bet just $5 on the conference championships and get 200 in free bets instantly. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code THPN. All right, welcome back, Kraken fans. And Durham, we finally had the finalized All-Star teams announced. Yeah, I don't know if you I don't know if you want to run through all of them or kind of just touch on the Pacific one. We unfortunately did not have any more Seattle Kraken voted in, so uh everybody sucks. Yeah, that was unfortunate. We couldn't get another Kraken player in there. Um, I mean, hard to argue against Leon Dreisaitl getting voted in. And then two extra goalies with Stuart Skinner and Logan Thompson getting added on. What do you think about that? Nah, Thompson was already there. Oh, wait. Yes, that's my bad. I'm looking at this list, looking at the starred players. And uh, my bad. That's I totally messed that up. It was Bo Horvat, right? Correct. Yeah, yes. for the for the vote ins, I mean, we probably weren't gonna win a fan vote for a goalie with Stuart Skinner being up just because it's fucking Canada and Edmonton was gonna get their guys in. And Drysidle, like you said, you can't argue with that. He's what second in the league in everything. Yeah, so that's Horvath a tough one. Argue a year. I know, and hint, hint. Hey, maybe he is that second Seattle Kraken who got voted in. Just hasn't been joining the team yet, Durham. 
Loopholes. Loopholes. Yeah, I mean, it's a big possibility. Other than that, no, there's not a whole lot else to talk about. I mean, I've seen a lot of fans questioning why the top players who are trending on Twitter, like Caulfield and uh, I think Martin Ekash and Tim Stutzla and guys like that and how they were the community was a little baffled as to why these players weren't the ones getting voted in when they clearly led the votes on Twitter. But then again, you have to add in all the ones from the website, which I'd be shocked if people actually do vote from the website that often. It seems like it's a bit of a nuisance shocker that it's a nuisance on the NHL.com website, but either way, that's just how it went Durham. Yeah. I did think there was a couple weird ones. Well, my old man's quite a big Leafs fan. So we were talking about it this morning and he's like, yeah, I don't know. Like, no offense to Martyr or Matthews. They're both fantastic players, obviously, but William Nylander has been the best fucking Leaf this year, and it's not really close for me, despite Marner's point streaks. He was, Nylander's just been start to finish fantastic. And I go, yeah. But anyone who knows Willie Nylander knows that he's going to Cabo for five days, and he was amped that he was not selected to the All-Star game. That's a vacation. Oh, 100%. I'm sure he's not worried about it one bit, but I have to agree with the old man on this one. Uh, I think Nylander's just been the most consistent, best forward for the Leafs. So to find him on the outside looking in is a little questionable, to say the least. But uh, you you bring up a great point. I don't think he's worried one bit. No, the All-Star game's become quite a joke in the last 20 years anyways, so... I mean, how many yeah. guys do you have that are actively like, I don't want to go to this? You don't go, Vetchkin's going to go to this? I don't think so. I think he's probably skipping it again. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Maybe maybe he actually shows up to one because he knows he's kind of, maybe doesn't have too many opportunities left. We'll, we'll see. But the one thing I will say is those jerseys are banging. Oh, I know. I kind of want one. They're like the throwback style from what? Was it 96? Yeah, the 90, 90s yeah. there. Yeah, 96 or something. Oh my goodness. Back when back when they had the light up puck on TV. Back when Owen Nolan was calling his shots. Yeah, and picking glove side on Hashik. Oh. Those Good were times. the days. I mean, I was only one years old, but those were the days. I mean, I might have been less than one by then. The All-Star game in 96. Never forget. Yeah, All Star Game in '96. You'd have probably been like not even five months, bro. I know. People don't forget. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the Kraken had their own little skills comp uh, where they held it just this past week, just a few days ago. And uh, yeah, anything exciting from that, Durham? Yeah, not a like whole lot of hard hitting facts here. Just a couple of quick tidbits. You know, Spronger wins the shooting accuracy. Who didn't see that coming? Geeky holds on to his crown for hardest shot two years in a row now and he wins this year with 104.8 miles an hour holy shit step in front of that one yeah getting it done two years back to back like that for geeky like pretty impressive yeah he was actually joking in the interviews that he figured out the tricks because he'd never done it last until last year and figured out if you keep the puck a little lower, it reads it a little bit harder. And wouldn't you know it, it's a harder shot this year. So he might be on to something. Yeah, that's actually not the first time that I heard that too. There's there's uh, in past All-Star games, I've heard players say that if you're able to keep that puck down when you're clapping it, then you're usually getting a bit harder of a shot. Yeah, if you can hit it the bottom and the middle, it's going to read you the hardest. There you go. Um, but that's pretty cool to see that. And then, of course, Dreger... Team Drager winning it two years in a row, too. Um, good to see him still, uh, you know, involved and around the team as well while he recovers. Yeah, his interview was funny. He was all deadpan after holding the skills trophy. And he's like, they said we couldn't do it. They said we couldn't repeat and we proved them wrong. Yeah, I fucking love that. That's awesome. Showing a bit of, uh, you know, just his character. So that's pretty awesome. little personality coming out there. Durham, moving on here, uh, let's talk a little bit about some Kraken contracts coming up. We have five guys who are going to be, who are RFAs at the end of the season, and four guys who are UFAs. So quickly just run through again what the difference between RFA and UFA are. 
RFA is a restricted free agent, so at the end of the contract, the team has exclusive rights with that player. They, when it becomes a free agency, they can still negotiate with all 32 teams, but if they come to a contract or come to an agreement with one of the other 31 teams, Seattle gets seven days to match it or they get compensation. Mm-hmm. And an unrest- a UFA is unrestricted free agent. So just when their contract's done, you don't get anything. Fucking nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. I did read the CBA or try to. I still yeah, have it that's... on my computer. <laughs> that's awesome, actually. Um, yeah, and the reason why we bring that up is because we're going to have a couple uh, just discussions about this, Durham, which means that once again, we're bringing it back, Durham. You are getting tossed into the deep end. All right, Durham, question number one. Out of these nine players, who stays and who goes? Well, out of the four, I'm going to start with the UFAs. So out of the four UFAs, Donato, Donskoy, Susie, and Jones, I think two of them are gone and two of them are going to stay. And I think the two that are probably going to stay are going to be Susie and Jones. I know everyone's like, fuck you, Donato's hot right now. He's too streaky for me to have in the bottom of the lineup. They're getting depth kids coming up. I think like forwards their deepest position. If you're going to lose a spot, it's going to be from the bottom of that lineup. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I think that's probably going to be the case. If, if you, you know, Donato could be looking at getting a two to three year deal and that's going to be hard to commit to that, uh, especially just with a lot of, prospects who could be on the up and coming now for for the Kraken. So um Don Donato's camp probably would like something in the 2.75 range per year, something like that. I'm sure he could find a deal out there that kind of puts him more solidified into a top nine role with a contract. So that'll be an interesting one going forward. I agree. That's something Arizona should probably be looking into. Who isn't Arizona looking into? But then we're yeah, gonna go they, to the RFAs. Yeah, they kind of do. They're the fodder for the rest of the league. <laughs> yep. But so then the RFAs, we got Geeky, Sprong, Borgen, Flurry, and Dunn. And honestly, I'd kind of be shocked if all or if four of the five aren't back. The only one that I'd be like, yeah, I don't know, is maybe Flurry, just because he's kind of been stuck in a depth role and like just stuck in being the seventh, eighth defenseman for this organization. So mm-hmm. I don't know if they'd qualify him, but they also didn't qualify Sprong last year and I think brought him back. So, ah, very true. I think if there's three players, I'm very confident would be coming back. Would be Dunn, Borgen, and Sprong. I think they've really enjoyed and really liked what they've seen out of Sprong. And I think he's, feels like he's probably in a place where he's comfortable and found a place where it makes sense for him to stay and, uh, you know, maybe start to earn a little bit of extra money and, and whether they're able to get a deal done with Sprong, I think, I think both sides would be happy to come to some kind of agreement. And obviously the progression with Will Borgen has been fantastic this year and with Dunn, we'll get into that in a second. Yeah, I think, like realistically you might be looking at retaining the because we we basically said not counting done two rfas and two ufas are staying right yeah i think it's entirely possible that three of those players are going to equal what dunn's aav is yeah i think that's entirely possible for sure yeah, yeah, that's perfect. Okay, next question for you. Um, who gets upgraded at the deadline, if any? See, I think they're going to probably add a couple depth D. So I guess you would say Borgen and Flurry, maybe Susie, since they're in the bottom. They're probably three of the bottom six for this team. Mm-hmm. Dunn, Larson, Alexiak. Yep. Yep. So I could see them getting upgraded and depending on who you want to call our starter going into playoffs, you could say Jones. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think there's an opportunity just with the depth of D. Um, you got to take a look at the goalie situation and really consider what the options are there. Um, whether that's bringing in a guy that was similar to Jones's situation coming into the season where they signed him more of just like that backup uh, potential third goalie at one point. Maybe they look at increasing that. But the one thing that's very, very intriguing is do they take a look at their depth at center and try to add somebody who's got more of a veteran presence and who's played in a bit more uh, playoff scenario style games? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you got Gord there who should be that, but that's the one thing where you can never really have enough of, right? Mm-hmm. So and especially, especially with some of the names of a, guys who are available, some, like Jonathan Taves, obviously a Bo Horvat, and you, t- you start to take a look at you know their resumes, I mean, especially a Jonathan Taves, and, and kind of consider you know, what can he bring to this team? If we're really a playoff team, we're going to be facing a lot of great depth at center uh, throughout some of these playoff teams. So uh, I think that's always a very important part to upgrade. And it just kind of is intriguing that there's some rumors that they are looking into a guy like Bo Horvat. Out of the two, who would you rather have if it's only for the playoff run, Horvat or Taze? Uh, it's tough. I think you're obviously giving up way more if you're going to grab Horvat, which I don't think they necessarily need to be looking at that situation. Um, so I, I wouldn't mind a guy like Jonathan Taves for this team, but I think that Yanni Gord almost fills out the type of role that you would want to give, uh, Jonathan Taves. Like, are you going to move Wenberg to the wing? Uh, and play Jonathan Taves in your top six. I don't know. I definitely would with Bo Horvat. I think he would be a guy who could just slot as number one center, basically. Um, you know, so so it's it's intri- it's intriguing to think about you know both sides of those types of players and what they would bring. But I think if you're looking at somebody who's going to make the most impact, it's got to be Bo Horvat. I agree 100 percent with everything you just said. <laughs> Are you sure there's nothing you you want to fight about or disagree with? Not this time. Wicked. And I mean, just the type of season Bo Horvat's having has been phenomenal. I mean, on pace for pl- to play all 82 games, and that would give him a pace of 53 goals and 87 points, which uh, is by far the most he's ever had in his career. I think his career high is just 61 points and a full 82-game season. So uh, Bo Horvat would be interesting. And, you know, if you can't beat them, you take their captain, right? Yeah, that's what's going to decide it is the next game against Vancouver. If we lose that, we're throwing everything for Horvat. Yeah, and it's not like you have to trade away the future with this hockey team. I mean, take a look at some of the depths they have at picks. I mean, don't they have three second-round picks just coming up this year? Yeah, they do have three seconds, but none of them are good. They have theirs, Toronto's, and Winnipeg's. So realistically, they're going to be looking at, you know, some grade A, maybe a blue chip prospect with a high pick. So I just think the, they're they're going to be out of the price range for Bo Horvat when it all comes down to it, which is okay because I just don't think they're in any position to want to throw away the future, even though uh, at the same time, I know Francis probably wants to reward this team for how great they have been and, you know, maybe help them continue on a bit of a a playoff run so i think realistically a guy like jonathan taves where uh you can get him at a cheaper deal that maybe just costs one of those second round picks maybe a third or a fourth attached with that uh would be the better way to go i agree for considering price for what the team has i think taves would be the best target if you're going to go after horvat do it in the off season Mm -hmm. 100 percent um, but yeah, that, that pretty much brings me to my last question here, Durham. If you could pick one player to keep and lose everyone else out of those RFAs and UFAs, who's it going to be and why? Vince Dunn, because he has more of an impact than all of them put together, arguably. He certainly showed that this year, which brings me to uh, 
point number B of question number three. What is his contract going to look like? What is Vince Dunn going to get signed to as his next deal with the Kraken? I would be shocked if it's anything less than a six by six style. Yeah, I think that he is going to get about a million point five to a two point five million dollar increase from his four million right now, or four point five. Sorry, I think it's yeah. I'm trying to four think mil. back. Sorry, four mil right on. Okay, I would be shocked if he doesn't get at least anywhere in the five point seven to six point five range. I think his agents are going to start asking for eight. Have you seen yeah. the, what his like, well, I know it's only one year and it's based off fancy stats models. So they're never hundred percent accurate. Oh but yep, the contract yep. predictors for him have said his value for this season has been $10.8 million. That's ridiculous. So any good agent pulls all those numbers immediately and, takes him to Francis and says, you're fucking paying Vince twice what you've been paying him. And then a good GM knocks about 25% off of that, hopefully. So that's where I'm coming in around six and a half is and maybe you add a year or two, like they've got the eight years Dunn's only turning 25. So an eight year deal would be the prime of his career. But that's why I think he- you're probably looking at a six by six, maybe six by seven. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Like he he's he's above he's six or above, like easily. And I thought he was like twenty six now. I thought I saw something that said twenty four. Oh, his signing con signing age for his last contract was twenty four. Sorry, he is twenty six. That's okay. Turned twenty six October uh twenty ninth, nineteen ninety six. So um geez, I think he's still was younger. Born then. Yeah. Uh wait. It, what did I say? That's when he, he was said born. He turned 26 on that day. <laughs> Oops. Uh, nope, definitely uh, not. Uh, that's when he was born. But uh, yeah, eesh. Dash one for me. That was embarrassing. Yeah, but fuck. honestly, you, you got to look at some of the contracts around the league and, and take a look at some of the guys making around that that same area. I mean, uh, I know he's retired. He's out of the league. But a Brent Seabrook. He was on making 6.8 in his last deal. Ryan McDonough right now, 6.7. Provorov, 6.7. You know, Tory Krug, 6.5. Justin Falk, Colton Pareko, 6.5. Cam Fowler, 6.5. Hampus Lindholm, 6.5. I mean, he's right around that range, in my opinion. And uh, you no doubt about it, even after how bad things were for him last season, what you've seen out of this year is going to just up that ante and up that contract even more. And he's going to get himself close to that range of the, of the $7 million per year. Yeah, exactly. Like his 0.74 points per game this year. If you take that through the last three seasons, that ranks him top 15 among D scores in all three years, top 10 in two years ago and three years ago. And yeah, and you start comparing him to those contracts. Making less than six and a half. Exactly. So, I mean, I think he's going to be pushing pretty close to uh, in that six and a half to seven million dollar range when it's all said and done. Plus, especially having like he has to carry the offense for this team. So, like, that's leverage for him. Yeah, no doubt about it. He's got to be expected to be that guy who carries it and can still play consistent two-way game and and be that PP number one guy. And he's shown that he has this year, or or shown that he can. Yeah, and a team that's struggled really bad on the power play too, and he hasn't really gotten maybe those points exactly. So um, there's potential for some more points in the bag for Vince Dunn. Yeah, could you imagine if this power play was clicking at 25%, 22? Yeah, where would he be right now points-wise, right? He'd be right fucking up there, that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, no kidding. I mean, Um, even right now, he's 11th for defensemen in the league. Yeah, 
Yeah, which is pretty ridiculous. I mean, he's going to get paid, and for good reason. I think he's a he's a key piece of the team that you you drafted in your expansion draft, and and you obviously left some pretty crazy talent on the board with that St. Louis pick. Um, so he, you know he's turning into what Ronnie Francis kind of expected him to turn into. So I don't think they'll have too much of an issue committing to him. You know, five six years six, seven years. So uh, that's a guy I think you're going to lock up and lock up to a decent contract. I agree. Durham, player of the week. Who do you got? I know I just said he's probably not coming back next year, but doesn't mean we can't enjoy what he's doing now. Ryan Donato had a lights-out game versus New Jersey and then followed it up with the only goal the Kraken had against Colorado. In three games last week, three goals, one assist, plus two. All four points were at even strength. And he had seven shots on net in only 12 minutes of time on ice a game. That's not bad. Yeah, that's another. That's just the bottom six guy getting it done for the Kraken, which has been the story all year. I mean, he's part of the bottom six that scores the most goals for that their respective teams out of uh, the whole league. You know, the Kraken's bottom six is just... Uh, the best in the league, in my opinion. And Donato has been a big part of that, especially as of late. So no doubt in my mind, Donato takes home that. And how could you not after the snipes, the back-to-back snipes in the game against the New Jersey Devils too? Just just brilliant stuff on his end there. So um, yeah, great pick. I love it. Can't go wrong with those snipes, like you say. No. Nope. Anything else you want to add, Durham? No, I think we nailed her. Perfect. Get ready for a fun game tomorrow night. Little pre-scout of future Kraken, Bo Horvat. <laughs> Just throwing that out there. We'll see what actually happens, though. Um, and that pretty much wraps up episode number 14, Durham. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in. Make sure to rate this episode five stars if you've enjoyed it. And stay tuned for episode number 15 when we talk about some Kraken prospects and, of course, more Kraken wins, baby. So let's get the puck out of here, Durham. Cheers, everybody. Peace.